And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck them up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavender. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a movie, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Bing. <laughs> Bing. <laughs> yeah. Bing again. Oh, my God. Uh, hi, Justin. How are you? I am fabulous. How are you? You sound like it. You sound good. Uh, how many doctor hopped up. How many Dr. Peppers did you drink? <laughs> <laughs> I was at about 14 Dr. Peppers. Oh, man. Yeah. I've been popping pills and I'm hopped up. I took a, I took a heartburn medicine. It says take one, but I figured if I take five, it would work faster. You'll actually destroy all the heartburn from ever entering your body. Yeah. You Got to stay Number. stay ahead of the curve there. Exactly. I don't even know what it was, but... Just had a had a tingling in my little chest there, so I popped a peel. Yeah. I'm fu- I'm fine. <laughs> we can laugh about it now. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> cool, man. So, uh, what have you been watching? Um, not a whole lot. I watched. There's something about Mary. Haven't seen it in a really really long time, and it was really funny. We were texting and laughing and laughing and laughing. But uh, yeah, it's funny, but man, it didn't age well. There's a lot of uh, not so PC jokes in there, and I'm just kind of like, ooh. So, but otherwise, it's still hilarious. Um, I watched the new Tom and Jerry movie on HBO Max. Uh, do yourself a favor and do not watch that. It's very bad. I watched it because it was just it was new, and I didn't care. I also was on stars i think or amazon prime and it was like movies you might like and it was chairman of the board the movie with carrot top that came out a long time ago and i <laughs> i remember watching it yeah i remember watching it a lot when i was a kid i think their algorithms so, busted <laughs> so yeah so i put it on and i turned it off after 10 minutes i cannot believe i used to like this movie it is so bad it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen in my life you know, I'm kind of like that with Freddy Got Fingered. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but yeah, I kind of I kind of go in like five minute increments and I just I can't. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty bad movie, too. Daddy, would you like some sausages? It's a very weird movie. Yeah. The uh, Chad. I, the Chad. <laughs> I also watched uh, The Thing again because it's been a while since I've seen it and I absolutely love that movie. It is one of my favorites of all time. And then I started The Queen's Gambit because everyone was talking about it. And you know me, I'm Mr. Hipster. I don't like to watch things uh, that everyone is telling me to watch. But The Queen's Gambit, uh, really good first episode. I only watched one because I wanted to savor it, but I enjoy it so far. And I haven't really had any Anya Taylor-Joy yet. So we will see what happens, but I'm digging it. But yeah, that's it. What about you? Let's see here. I watched Gross Point Blank, which I really enjoyed. It's one of my favorites from the 90s there. I watched White Men Can't Jump, which I haven't seen in a long time. And fuck, dude, <laughs> I know that whole movie by heart. I must have watched it a thousand times because when it was on, I just couldn't stop quoting it. It was nuts. I even said, and we can't have that, Billy Hole. <laughs> yeah, uh, foods that start with the letter Q. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who is Babe Ruth? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so good. I love the music in it. I love everything about it. It's pretty good. 
It is just hard damn work being this good. But uh, also been watching Cowboy Bebop, the anime, as it were, and Get Shorty, another movie from the '90s. We had a little had a little uh, flashback to the '90s there, and uh, eating it up. Very nice. Loving every second of it. Yeah, I actually really enjoy Get Shorty. It's it's another one of those ones I saw in high school that just kind of made me want to be in the movie business. I think uh, Gross Point Blank and Get Shorty both were, and and like Pulp Fiction, sort of um, all around that same time. And I just was like, "Fuck, man, I got to make movies," <laughs> and uh, just love them. And when I was watching them this last week, I just couldn't stop smiling. They're a lot of fun. Cool. Hell yeah, man. That's great. Yeah. Good stuff. Your mom is an astronaut. That's from White Man Can't Jump. Oh. Yeah, I actually want to watch that movie. <laughs> I want to watch that movie again. It was one of the ones that uh, when I was younger, I used to record VHS tapes and I had, I think I did it from my mom or my dad, but I recorded that movie and The Cowboy Way oh, on sure. uh, two Woody Harrelson movies on VHS. Sequel. The sequel to White Man Can't Jump. <laughs> yeah. It just becomes a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Kiefer in that? Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah. Yeah, he's all drunk every day. I don't know. Poor guy. But <laughs> yeah, anyways, uh, I, I should rewatch that. I haven't seen White Man Can't Jump in a long time. I just remember Woody, uh, or not Woody, Wesley Snipes double crosses him. No spoilers. No spoilers. Oh, yeah. They get over <laughs> it. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, one hustles one and the other hustles the other. But I like it when they're trying to, they're playing on the court and they get this guy Raymond to, to bet like, I don't know, $500 or something. And he goes into the convenience store to rob it to get cash. He's like, give me all your money. And the convenience <laughs> store guy's like, is that you, Raymond? <laughs> and he takes off his mask and he, tries, he sells the guy his gun. So he has the money for the bet. That's <laughs> so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I'll have to watch it. Do it. Check it out. It's on the, I saw it on the Hulu. I think it was on Stars. It is. Yeah. It's on Stars. So anyway, moving on. Uh, speaking of Hulu, that is how we watched this movie, Gone Girl from 2014, directed by David Fincher, who you might know from a couple movies like Seven, Fight Club, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Curious Case, <laughs> like that, <laughs> The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Zodiac, The Social Network, Mank, The Game. He did the game? I don't think I knew that. And Panic oh, Room. So, the game is so good. I think it's a, a criminally Michael underrated Douglas, film. Michael Douglas, that one? Yeah, and Sean oh, Penn. I hate that movie. I saw I, it at the drive-in. I couldn't oh, stand I it. I love it. It wasn't my cup of tea. It's, it's he, also, better. he also did Alien 3. Yeah, that one is awful. <laughs> Not the director's cut. The director's cut is a completely different movie. Well, because the studio got involved, 20th Century Fox or whatever, got involved with... Uh, the filmmaking process. And I mean, he goes on record. He says like, I'll never work for them again or whatever, just because of how much interference they had. It was, it was pretty gnarly. That's why that movie was garbage, but I've never seen the director's cut. So I'd be oh. intrigued to see what happens. Blows your mind, man. It's really, it's a completely different movie. It's okay. uh, it's really good. I, I, I would go so far as to say that I, ha, it's hard. I, I don't know. I want to start fights, but it's really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> Because the thing is, like, Aliens is so incredible. You know, it's like total Cameron. Let's get the big guns and shoot a bunch of shit. And you got the Paul Reiser being Burke, you know, so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. But like, you know, the first one is really it's good, but it's it's extremely slow. It crawls the first right. Alien and um, Aliens cranked it up to 11 and it's a lot of fun. And then three just kind of got the shaft where it's like, OK, I'm watching a bunch of rapists and murderers get killed by an alien. <laughs> 
what why do i care yeah <laughs> so, so so that's kind of uh it's already a tough sell but then when you watch the director's cut it's, it's beautifully shot like I, he was still mm-hmm. very young in the in the filmmaking uh on his on his filmmaking resume alien 3 was one of his first motion picture shows if not the first movie he ever made i know he did a lot of um, music videos but uh it was not fair for him to get uh, the short end of the stick, as it were. So if you ever get the opportunity, I would suggest watching the director's cut of Alien 3 because it is very, very good. And and it feels like Fincher, too, by the way, throwing that out there, because he kind of has his own little way, you know, like how we were talking about uh, Christopher Nolan. Uh, I think Fincher very much has his own style that's pretty easy to identify when you're watching a Fincher film. Oh, absolutely. Everything is dark. Everything has a certain filter to it. Uh, yeah, the dialogue, the, the way that the, the cuts are for the edits. I mean, it's just so good. And then obviously he's used a lot of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross in uh, uh, for his to score his films. But Atticus um, Finch. God damn it. I always say Atticus. <laughs> yeah, Atticus <laughs> okay, Finch. That's, 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 uh, that's uh, a Mockingbird. Okay, that's what I mean. So <laughs> stop confusing me, damn it. Because I think I messed up once before and I'm like, no, it's Atticus Ross. And then I convince myself otherwise. And I'm like, no, that's from To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch. <laughs> God damn it. Okay, yeah, Atticus Ross. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, uh, Reznor and Ross are just phenomenal. And their scores, I mean, I, I still stand on record and say that The Social Network is one of the best soundtracks like I've ever heard in my life. It's unbelievable. Aside from my life. aside from Batman Forever, because it has Seal, Kiss, Kiss from a Rose. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Baby! And, and it has this massive attack cover of uh, when the hunter gets captured by the prey. Mm-hmm. Or I think that's what it's called. But it was originally done by the Marvelettes. And uh, the Marvelettes are amazing. And this that cover will blow, will blow your mind. Oh, so okay. Check it out. Yeah. Okay. Now you're talking my language. Yeah. Speaking your lingity. So there you have it. The this is interesting because the the book this is an adapted uh, piece of work. the The book and screenplay were both written by Gillian Flynn, and that uh, that is pretty rare when the author of the novel is penned to write the script for the motion picture show. Yeah, yeah. So that happened. The cast includes Mr. Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike. Neil Patrick Harris, Tyler Perry, Carrie Coon, Kim Dickens, and Patrick Fugget. Ah, <laughs> uh, Fugget. Fugget. <laughs> fuck it, man. Hey, uh, my freaking head. Yeah, my freaking head. Yeah. Martha Fokker. And um, it's good stuff. These for as far as critical reception goes, I had it in front of me for once, and I am ready. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> So, Olivia Luter from One Room with a View says, Gone Girl is the movie Flynn fans hope for and sets Pike up for an Oscar-worthy nomination, but Fincher disappoints in failing to improve upon an already brilliant book. I don't know about all that. But... Mm, about all that. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Alisa uh, Wilkinson from Christianity Today says the premise I, I know right not tomorrow or the next but right now we're at now now the premise is flat out creepy make sure you're game for that before you see it wow yeah 
Mariana Neal from Impression Blend says, deliciously twisted, exclamation point. Okay. Mike Massey says, built with a masterful touch. And that is from Gone with the Twins. I don't even know what that is, but. As far as negative reviews go, wouldn't you know it, our buddy Rachel Wagner from rachelreviews.net.org.edu says, slickly made, good performances, but a plot that defies credibility and made me groan. I don't know about all that. I'm not sure I agree with you 100% on your critiquing abilities, Miss Wagner, because for me, the plot is the coolest part about this movie. Like, I am so stuck on the story that the rest is kind of an afterthought because my mind was just left racing the entire time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the cool things about how it was shot and just the overall tone was almost second to me because the entire time I'm just playing this weird guessing game as I'm watching it. Like, what the fuck is happening yeah. right now? So, so I think that's a good thing. You know, I, I was more concerned with the characters and where it was going Versus being distracted by camera shots and music and and lousy characters. It all blended together so well that it gave me the opportunity to really sit and digest what I was watching, which I thought was interesting. And I think that's what uh, what Fincher and I mean, Gillian Flynn do fantastically is is they treat their audience like intelligent folk who who right. want a story. You know, they don't spoon feed it to us. They're. They're very good at developing the story, and it is it is a sight to see on the film or on the screen. I will say, yeah, that's good shit. It's it's good it's good stuff. Soderbergh's like that too, and Aaron Sorkin. I think Aaron oh, Sorkin. Yeah. Like every time I'm watching something that he wrote, I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty fucking smart. <laughs> West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just cool. I, I love how it's. It's it's intelligent dialogue, but it's it's spun in a way where you can keep up and you you can't really miss, you know, a beat because it is just this fucking drum pounded in your face about how amazing everything is. And which is which is really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he does an amazing job. Yeah, I agree. Like like Steve Jobs. Right. I think we talked about that before on the show. It's directed by Danny Boyle, but Sorkin wrote it and nothing is happening in this movie. It's three different presentations. Like it's all like pretty much in one area and I'm fucking mesmerized for like this two hour movie. And I just don't want to move. I don't want to go to the bathroom. I don't want to get a drink. I don't even want to drink my drink because I'm just, I don't want to miss anything, which is crazy. So, yeah, I agree. I think that it's, it's phenomenal. And and I, it took me a while to watch Steve jobs just because I never really got to it. And I was blown away. I'm like, Nothing's really happening, but it's all just sharp dialogue, and it's so well done. It's captivating. But in the most recent movie I can think of that was like that was The Vast of Night, and I recommended it to our buddy Steve and the uh, the Horse Squad podcast because it is so well done, and you can tell the person who wrote the screenplay definitely took influence from uh, guys like Sorkin. So, mm-hmm. Well, you recommend good movies. I recommended a movie called Snake Dick. <laughs> 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 I can't make this up. It showed up in my inbox today in my <laughs> in my email, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" So, snake, snake, dick, check it out. <laughs> Shark bait, ooh ha ha. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So back to Gone Girl. She left. She's gone for all you. Uh, what are they called? Hall and Oates fans out there. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway, so the Motion Picture Show had a budget of $61 million. It's quite a lot of quiche there. Opening weekend, it saw $37.5 million, and that was on October 5th of 2014. It grossed in the United States at a whopping $167 million, and then worldwide, you're looking at $369 million, an almost $400 million film. Which is fantastic, especially for a drama. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It gets Tahiti with the money. <laughs> you bet you ass you could. There and back again, the Hobbit's tale. <laughs> uh, ben Affleck's weight, it fluctuated in the film, with him being a, ver- a, a fairly average build to being muscular as a result of being cast as Batman in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. That was in 2016. He was working yeah. out. He was you a know, gorilla in Batman. <laughs> he was a big old dude in Bat in Batman. Did you notice uh, he had a nude scene in this movie in Gone Girl? And you can see his penis if you uh, fe- freeze frame it. So uh, I didn't pause it or anything, but I felt like I saw a little bit of peen. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, Justin, I, I, I was like, whoa! <laughs> yeah. I froze that. <laughs> yeah, if my remote was handy, I probably would have, but it was out of reach. Yeah, you're out of touch. I'm out of time. Back there to home. <laughs> yeah. You know, your kiss, it's on my list. Uh, Roll it down Re- on the paper. <laughs> can, can I finish? Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon obtained the film rights uh, from Gillian Flynn in June 2012 and decided to produce under her new production label, Pacific Standard. Love Reese Witherspoon. She's fantastic. Uh, as she would be able to play the role of Amy. Wow. However, after her initial meeting with David Fincher on his vision of the film, Witherspoon withdrew from contention, realizing that she wasn't the right person to play the female lead. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, this is, uh, this is pretty dark. I don't know if I can do this. So good call. Good call good on her. Yeah. Yeah. Bend and snap. Uh, know your limits, Mr. Wayne. Exactly. And then finally, when it comes to casting roles, David Fincher typically goes on the internet to look through pictures of actors to help him find the right type of actor for a role. When casting the role of Nick Dunn, Fincher spotted photos of Ben Affleck and noticed a particular smile Affleck had on dozens of pictures. According to Fincher, it captured a particular emotion in a scene of Nick Dunn smiling that showed the essence of the character. Soon afterward, Fincher cast Ben Affleck in the role. Wow, that actually worked really well because he has that kind of you know, and they even address it. They're like, why are you smiling, Nick? And he's like, I'm just trying to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of like a weird smirk. He's always kind of had that. Like, he has. Hey, yeah. I'm in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood. Yeah. So cool. Well, Love that um, Affleck. since you didn't watch the movie, I'll read a synopsis for you. Uh, on their fifth wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> I know. I took um, notes. On their fifth wedding anniversary, writing teacher Nick Dunn returns home to find his wife Amy missing. Her disappearance receives press coverage as Amy was the inspiration for her parents' popular Amazing Amy children's book. Detective Rhonda Boney finds poorly concealed evidence of a struggle in the house. Suspicion mounts around Nick, whose apathy is interpreted by the media as a characteristic of a sociopath and even sows doubt in his twin sister Margot. In the past, Amy revealed to Nick that Amazing Amy was a perfected version made up of the real Amy's failures. Their marriage disintegrated over time. Both lost their job in the recession and moved from New York City to Nick's hometown of North Carthage, Missouri to care for his dying mother. Nick became lazy and distant and began cheating on Amy with Andy, one of his students, while Amy became increasingly resentful towards Nick for making her move to Missouri. Forensic analysis of the house uncovers cleaned bloodstains, indicating a probable murder. 
Boney unearths evidence of financial troubles, domestic disputes, and Amy's recent willingness to purchase a gun. Medical reports indicate that Amy is pregnant, which Nick denies knowing. Amy and Nick had played treasure hunt games on every wedding anniversary, and this year's clues included exorbitant items purchased with Nick's credit card, as well as a diary highlighting Amy's growing isolation and ending with the fear that Nick will kill her. Amy drives to a campground in the Ozarks, and upon discovering Nick's affair, she had concocted an elaborate plan to frame him for her murder and make his motive appear to be monetary. She fabricated a long-standing diary that was accurate in its early entries, but later evolved into false accounts of spousal violence and her increasing fear of Nick. She befriended a pregnant neighbor, told her fake stories about Nick's temper, and stole her urine to fake pregnancy results, all while hiding the friendship from Nick. She planted corroborating evidence of Nick's guilt in the clue spots for the treasure hunt for the police to find. She also splattered her own blood across the kitchen and cleaned it haphazardly. She anticipated that Nick would be executed for her murder and planned to kill herself. Nick deduces Amy's plan and convinces Margot of his innocence. He flies to New York City and hires Tanner Bolt, a lawyer known for representing men accused of killing their wives. Nick also meets Amy's ex-boyfriend, Tommy O'Hara, who, sa who says that Amy had falsely accused him of rape, planting evidence around his house. Nick approaches another ex-boyfriend, the wealthy Desi Collins, uh, Collins, against whom Amy previously filed a restraining order, but Desi turns him away. When Amy's campground neighbors rob her of her money, she calls Desi for help, convincing him that she fled from Nick's abuse. Desi agrees to hide her in his lake house, period. After Andy reveals their affair at a press conference, Nick appears on a talk show professing his innocence and apologizing for his failures as a husband in the hope of luring Amy out of hiding. Boney has enough evidence to arrest Nick for murder, but Bolt gets him out on bail. However, his performance rekindles Amy's feelings for him. She uses Desi's surveillance cameras to help make it appear that Desi kidnapped and raped her. She seduces Desi, murders him with a blade, and returns home covered in his blood, clearing Nick of suspicion. When Boney probes into the holes in her story, Amy chastises her as incompetent. The FBI slides or sides with Amy, forcing Boney to back down. Amy tells Nick the truth and admits that admits to Desi's murder, saying that the man she watched pleading for her return on TV is the man she wants him to become again. Nick shares this with Boney, Bolt, and Margot, but there is no evidence of her guilt. Nick intends to leave Amy, but she reveals, surprise, surprise, she is pregnant, having inseminated herself with Nick's sperm stored at a, at a fertility clinic. Nick reacts violently to Amy's insistence, and they remain married, but feels responsible for the child. Despite Margot's objections, he reluctantly decides to stay with Amy. The happy couple announce they're on television that they are now expecting a child. Gone, girl. <laughs> She's gone. <laughs> you make my oh, dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's Gone Girl. Um, but Justin, when did you first see Gone Girl? What did you think? Um, have your thoughts changed at all? And, you know, for funsies, did you read the book? I did not read the book. The first time I saw it was um, 2015 on the Red Box, and I enjoyed it. Did you, were you scared at all? Were you terrified, or <clears throat> were you just like, it's okay? No, I was not, I was not scared. <laughs> and I was not terrified. I remember feeling uncomfortable, and, you know, for the first 40 minutes or so, I wasn't sure what to believe, you know, and, and there's that, there's that one moment where it's uh, this flashback of 
of him wanting to go be with friends and she's like no let me go too and then they like kind of push each other and then he shoves her and she falls and hits her head on the on the stairs Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh fuck that's crazy and so i i had no idea what to think the entire time but then when it's revealed that she's alive i remember just being like whoa and then i thought i thought that we were going to get more of him being a terrible person you know like a violent person and that doesn't really happen (laughs) so (laughs) i thought i thought there was going to be a moment where where she's getting away she's running from him because he's you know a a violent man that's going to hurt her and uh that didn't really go that route went a different way zigged when i thought it was gonna zag there and uh yeah it's crazy but no i did not read the book i knew it was a book uh that's just not really my cup of tea for books i like I like magazines at the airport and and stuff like that. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't read a lot, a lot of books there, Mister Zach. Unless it's a Game of Thrones or a or a Hobbity kind of book, I don't I don't read it. There you go. I <clears throat> so I actually did read the book back in about 2009 or 2010, around when it came out. I was recommended it by a coworker, and I <clears throat> I couldn't put it down. Justin, it was a page turner. It was like the definition of a page turner. I loved the the structure of it. So each each chapter, it's it, it's very easily readable. And each chapter uh, was an excerpt of of their lives, and it all kind of uh, went down. So like the first chapter would be Nick's story, and then the next would be Amy's, and the next would be Nick's, then Amy's, then Nick's, and then Amy's. And it culminated in the middle of the book when you're everything is like holy shit, what's going on? Did Nick actually kill her? Nick finds out he goes to the woodshed and he opens up and sees all that stuff. And he's like, you fucking bitch. And then that's like book two or whatever. And it shifts over to Amy's perspective. And that's when she reveals that she did the whole thing. And I'm just like, Oh my God, (laughs) I was blown away. And I thought it was so good. And when I first saw this in 2014, because I saw it in theaters, I was very, very happy with the adaptation. I thought it was so awesome. And I, at the time, I was claiming it was one of the better uh, book to screen adaptations that I, ha- I had ever seen. And I don't know if that's fair to compare again, because it's been so long since I've read the book. But I'm just going to believe 20 uh, something year old Zach, 25 year old Zach, and say that I was accurate. But I really, really enjoy this movie a lot. And I'm really glad we rewatched it, even though it's unsettling. Like when she has her little blood orgy with Neil Patrick Harris, I couldn't, I don't like watching that scene. I don't like watching any of the implied rape stuff, even though I know she was faking it. I still don't like it. And um, yeah, but otherwise I thought it was awesome. Performances were great from everybody, but yeah. And like I said, you know, this is a, it's a pretty heavy movie. It's, it's not something easy you can watch on a Sunday, Sunday afternoon after church or anything like that. Amongst the mirror in church, you could, you Sunday school. Yeah, gone. How to get away with murder? Murder. Amongst the myriad of themes it deals with, the story is centered around centered around a dysfunctional couple, Nick and Amy. They're dysfunctional. They fight. They're not good for each other. There's a ton of lying. There's infidelity, and there's even murder. Murder, you say? Yeah, in Savannah. (laughs) In Savannah. So the illegal stuff aside. Do you know any couples like this that are so dysfunctional that you kind of scratch your noggin there and wonder why they're even together? Um, and, and are, you know, are they divorced? And if not, why haven't they gotten divorced? 
Um, I'd say my parents were one. <laughs> like, no joke. I swear to God, my my dad, this fucking guy, my mom was in a wheelchair and he like let her roll down a hill. What? And she was starting screaming bloody murder. I caught her. And then I was like, are you okay? And she goes, I swear to God, I'm going to slit his fucking throat. <laughs> so, and that was in a church parking lot. My my niece was just baptized. <laughs> and that was a conversation that took place. True fucking story. Yeah. Oh, man. It's pretty nuts. Um, sorry, sorry for laughing. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. They're crazy. Um, I mean... I, I love them, but they they do not belong together. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I I think that they have a very they had a very dysfunctional relationship, and uh, them getting a divorce was a good thing. I mean, it sucks when you know you they were in the same kindergarten class, so they had known each other for a long time. They got married in 1972, and then they didn't get divorced until like 2014. So, I mean, they were together for a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, they, uh, like 42 something years, 42 years, I think. And so, um, yeah, they were, they were over it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, maybe if my mom had read how to get away with murder books or, you know, there were true crime podcasts back then, then maybe she could have done something like this. But, um, my goodness, they were they were not good together. Yeah. I definitely know some couples that probably shouldn't be together. It's just because I feel like it's just always argument or ar- arguments. And that's what I, I always hear uh, when I hang out with them, you know, together or separately. It's always just he said, she said, blah, 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 blah. And I kind of look at it and I'm like, man, I'm struggling so hard to find a girlfriend. But. Yet I look at these people and I'm like, do I want one? <laughs> so, um, it just it, it, it's it's fascinating to me. But I I know that misery loves company, and you know, in certain situations, opposites don't attract. <laughs> like these people are the same person; they just have no idea that they are. They're both, you know, I don't know, ignorant, captious people. Let's just say I'm not speaking of anybody in particular. I'm just saying dysfunctional couples. It's a uh, it's fascinating, you know. And I think divorce is one of those things that, if there's children involved, maybe it's something like Nick in this movie, right? He doesn't want to leave her, and Margot is so upset because it's he he has a child on the way, and he's like, I need to be there for that child. Um, so I think that the, the the whole divorce aspect, and plus think of like what the media would think of him if. I don't I don't think he'd give a shit, honestly, but yeah, it'd be pretty, pretty crazy stuff. So to kind of piggyback off that question, though, uh, it seems that Nick and Amy are two pretty fucked up people. In the end of the film, we learn that Amy's pregnant and uses it to blackmail Nick. Like I was just saying, Uh, Margot calls Nick out for what she thinks he really feels and claims that he actually wants to be with Amy still that she that Nick actually still loves Amy. Do you think Nick truly loved Amy still and wanted to be with her again? Or do you think he was just uh, kind of acting on this because he was scared of what would happen? Yeah, I think he was scared. I'd be scared. I don't even know how he goes to bed, man. I would sleep with my eyes open. I would I would live the rest of my life in fear if I knew what this woman was capable of. Well, so would I. But, but I think the ending, just like how it starts, you know, where he's like, I want to see what's inside of her head. They're both pretty fucked up people. I mean, it, it, it's we'll talk about it a little later. I think that Amy's probably more fucked up than he is, but Nick is a piece of shit still too. And he can be just as manipulative 
um, as Amy could be in certain settings. Now, that doesn't mean he deserved what happened to him, but it also doesn't mean he he should have cheated on Amy. She was a very good wife to him for the most part. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, he he may still love her. Maybe maybe with how she acted like, you know, when people have these grand gestures of love and, and some people are just like, Oh God, I love, I love when my boyfriend gets in fights with, with people at the bar or, Oh, I love when my girlfriend is, is a bitch to the cashiers or something like that. You know, some people just really get off on that kind of mentality. And there was a moment in, in the film when Margo's saying that, and Nick doesn't really deny it that he still loves Amy. So I, I think he actually did. I think he was just so messed up that he's like, well, like, yeah, kind of still. But that's my opinion, at least. Okay. I don't know. So and you can kind of just see it in his in his facial expressions. I don't say he's right. He's not right at all. But <laughs> I wasn't there for their five years of craziness. And- right. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I, I don't know. I feel like he's scared. I don't. He says he wants to leave. But I mean, you know, I know he really wants a kid. and Now he's going to have one. So that might change things. But yeah, I mean, um, I know people like how many how many couples and you don't have to name personally, but I I know certain couples that cheating has occurred. The it's the husband each time has cheated on his wife and then they got back together over some weird shit. And I mean, like, it's crazy to me because I'm like, no, that's a one and done situation for me. But it's. It's naive of me to to say, oh, well, they should be done because I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. But me personally, I'd be like, no, 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 I'm done. But maybe Nick is like, well, well, this will save our marriage because I messed up and I did her wrong. So a child is going to bring us closer. Yeah, man. I don't know. I can't speak to it. <laughs> Let's write to Jillian and ask her what she meant. But, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you mentioned like them being dysfunctional and them fighting. And, you know, I was married for a while and we never fought the entire time we were together for 15 years. We never had a single argument. And it's I think that might have been part of the problem for us is yeah. that we didn't really talk out our issues. I'm not saying we need to like go to blows or yell or scream, but definitely have hard conversations. And we didn't do that. And it had an impact. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. So, I mean, in the event that you are with another human being and you want to voice a concern, I urge you to voice that concern. And yeah, it's going to be awkward. and Yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. But when it's all, all said and done, maybe you will be on the same path and your goals will be aligned and you will move forward as opposed to just stewing and sitting in your own sick. I think so. For me, communication is key. And I learned that through several relationships. And I'm I'm pretty open about how I feel in situations. Uh, I think that it's a healthy mixture of both, too. Y- y- you need to have the little arguments, the little tiffs, because that's just releasing pressure on the pressure valve. I mean, think of how many uh, couples or relationships have ended because like a pen cap was you know, not on a pen or someone had their toothpaste wrong. They, they you know, squeeze their toothpaste wrong, like little trivial shit. I've known people that that has ended relationships and it's crazy to me because you know, it that's just the catalyst for and another thing, you know, just all this kind of stuff. So I think it's, it's important to discuss that kind of um, those, those kind of things. And Nick wasn't doing any of that in this movie. He was just playing video games. It was like, Oh, I don't have a job. And I was like, bro, go to fucking McDonald's and go get a job. Well, in the interim, like if, if you're a person who's like, I've always had a job, then go get a day labor job. I mean, Jesus, Stop feeling sorry for yourself. So 
I think that was a whole issue because Amy was really supportive of him, even though he was dealing with that. I mean, so uh, the thing is, though, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but like when you're laid off or let go, it's there's a sometimes there's this healing that has to take place and it's different for everyone. And there's going to be a time where you are just going to want to play video games or you're in a funk and, you know, you're going to seek some other kind of entertainment as opposed to just going to McDonald's to get a job. I mean, especially if you're uh, a teacher or a creative person, you know, there's, there's such a thing as being overqualified for a job and are being underemployed and, you know, you're working, you know, a $7 an hour job until you get the career back that you want. But it's going to be really hard to convince somebody to do that sometimes because, uh, you know, you're just not going to be happy. It's going to be unhealthy and it's a whole process. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I get it, but it's like for me, something like that is a job that you, yeah, work it in the interim. If you need something to fill your life just for right there or you need some scratch, just do it and then leave. And you're not going to it's not going to be the sweat off of McDonald's back because it's a turnstile for who they hire, basically. Yeah, but he didn't need any scratch. He was with a, you know, a loaded money bag, loaded wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Right. So I, I I don't know. And, and again, like I, the movie didn't go into this or the book didn't go into their psyche. So that's I, I get what you're saying for sure. To, to each their own, I would say. But Catherine says he's holding out for some kind of management position. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So we, we've discussed the media before and kind of how damaging it can be and why we can't discern the truth from it. Why it's always going to be clouded, basically. The book and the film. Emp- emp- ah. The book and the film emphasize this through various and obvious methods. The smear campaign on the Elliot Abbott show. She's just the worst. The photo, the photo ops for Nick with him smirking all the time. And then hiring Tanner Bolt, who is just like a celebrity lawyer. The detectives don't even know, or the the detectives even know they don't have enough evidence uh, to convict Nick of the murder, despite all of the insurmounting evidence in the court of public opinion. The media and the viewers have already pinned Nick as the murderer without his legal due process, eventually even affecting the thoughts of Detective Gilpin, uh, who thinks Nick is automatically guilty because his wife said so. Why is the media involvement problematic? Can you think of any cases like this? Any real life cases like this? Sure. Uh, Well, so public opinion right there is is a big is a big deal. You know, it's one of those things where. It can just uh, you get the media circus and it complicates things <laughs> like Richard Jewell, for example. Right. The, oh my the security God, yeah. guard at the Olympics. He was he should have been a hero for alerting the police and saving all those people from the explosion with the pipe bombs. But instead, the media twists it to where he is the bad guy trial by media. Right. That's the whole thing where this public opinion is now like, yeah, how did he know where these bombs were? And he's the bad guy. And when it's all said and done. You don't even know who the hell the real bad guy was. You know, that's that's really sad. Eric Rudolph was the real bad guy, but we know Richard Jewell. We don't we don't know who Eric (laughs) Rudolph is, (laughs) which is crazy to me. Right. Or, you know, uh, another one would be like Gary Condit. I don't know if you remember him, but he was that um, he was that congressman uh, in California where he was having an affair with with uh, Chandra Levy and she went missing. And then after she goes missing, his affair was brought into light and he got smeared and he looked, he, I mean, 
if if you judge in a book by its cover, he looked like a real creep, and everyone assumed that he was guilty. And wouldn't you know it, when she was missing, he was actually in a meeting with the vice president. So he had a pretty solid alibi. Of course, someone could be doing it for him, and you know, no one's. There's always going to be that that seed of doubt that, oh yeah, it was totally Gary Condit, and this only impacted me because my whole my family is from this neck of the woods and so it was a really big deal uh in in the modesto california area you know my whole family is from like the merced and fresno area so it's kind of hit close to home and i remember this when it was happening i was in college and i'm just like man this guy looks like a total creeper i don't care what his alibi is he's totally <laughs> guilty you know and um so that's just that's just how our mind works or like john benet ramsey right that was another yeah one. yeah Poor little girl gets strangled and everyone's like oh it's the parents oh it's the brother it's it's we're we're shown excuse me we're shown half truths because the police want to keep some of it a secret because the only person that would know certain details would be the person that did it right so i mean we're left to our own conclusions and and then the smear campaigns happen and who knows what happened to this poor little girl and immediately we think it's the family which is a horrible thought of course but when you're only told so much, you're going to come up with your own, you know, outcomes and verdicts. Scott Peterson, that's another one. You yeah. know, that, that horrible man that who is a convicted murderer for for uh, Lacey Peterson. Is that her name was? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was another one where everyone's like, you know, wife goes missing. And oh, the husband did it. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the thing. If If I if I ever go missing. I have told my family that Alex is the, <laughs> the primary suspect. She watches all kinds of murder shows. She's always going snapped. She watches the show Snap. And yeah. I, I, I have no off switch. I'm always silly. I'm always ridiculous. I always say stupid stuff. And she just rolls her eyes and it's going to stay that way one day. And she's going to snap. She's going to murder me. And I'm saying it on the show that she is the prime suspect. Let me see you what we see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That woman's going to bury me in the backyard and it's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And and like I think one of my favorite things about this book and this movie are just like you were saying at the beginning, right? So you didn't you didn't read the book, so you didn't know the twist, the Pepsi Lime twist like I did. But basically, the cool thing about it is the entire time, it's like a microcosm uh, Nick's story we as a viewer are watching it unfold where he's got to be guilty because all these things keep adding up and you're like wait, wait wait hang on a second why is he acting like this you know we're kind of figuring it out with the detectives and so for the first half of the film you're like I don't see any other way I think Nick probably killed her right like I, that has to be the logical explanation and then boom you're hit with the the tool the woodshed and you're like what the fuck is going on but I mean that's a microcosm for how the media is and I mean they obviously the media is a huge theme in this film. Like they splice in the, the Ellen Abbott show and all that kind of stuff. Um, the candlelight vigil. I mean, I, I could never imagine dealing with a, a missing spouse or missing relative and having to have a press conference. I wouldn't know what to say because everything you say, every sentence you say would be dissected by people and say, well, why did he say thank you very much? What does that mean? Is Is he happy she's gone? You know, like, there are so many outlets like that, uh, Fox Media and everything that can that can totally misconstrue what you're saying and bend that truth. So it's uh, it's very, very fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, honestly, it's like, well, we've all done it. We're like, oh, yeah, it's totally the wife. Or, oh, it's totally the husband. <laughs> and and it, it's just the way the media makes their money, right? They need to get the viewership. They're going to have these conversations. They're going to do their deep dives. And it's going to be half-truths. And we're going to watch it. And we're going to digest it. And we're going to love it. And that's just how we work. We, we feed off of this information. And so it's a very powerful thing, especially when they have these panels or experts uh, they like how with Nick, they had an expert on who's saying, "Yes, yeah, classic yeah. Uh, sociopath, yeah. Yeah. killing expert." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I uh, got the magnifying glass. And... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's it's very very problematic, and I always I'm careful with watching the news, and I, I think about. It. I mean, Nightcrawler, we discussed the same thing, right? What's the first thing you see when you see local news? This just in: family of seven murdered at a water slide park. You're like, God damn it! Yeah, <laughs> I was just trying to get the local sports updates, but we'll transition to this next question. So, Amy, she's very intelligent, she's beautiful, she's creative, and she's incredibly resourceful. She uses her skills elaborately to frame Nick for her murder. It almost seemed a little too perfect. Justin, you and I both know several people who love true crime and murder mystery shows like Snapped. (laughs) Almost to the point of obsession. They got to have their wine. They got to have their blanket, all that kind of stuff. With the vast majority of books and shows out there, it's not entirely absurd to think that maybe someone could pull this off in real life. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think something like this frame job has or will have happened ever? Yeah, uh... I think it's pretty possible. <laughs> I mean, it it played out like it's something that's happened before. So I, I wouldn't put it past anybody. And I, I hope that it never happens. But uh, they the 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 nice police officers were were pretty ready to throw the book at Nick. And uh, honestly, if she didn't, if she wasn't robbed by those like trailer trash folk. Mm-hmm. he would have he he would have been thrown in in prison yeah that really saved his life yeah so uh it is it is nuts to think about and i mean i'm sure that there's you know the perfect crime and and people get away with murder all the time and at the end of the day i think a lot of times it just depends on who's working the case right you know like yeah. she says you know my your incompetence almost let my husband my husband almost put my husband in jail for the rest of his life. And I don't know the first thing about being a detective and, and solving crimes, but that's a hard job. And there's a lot of pressure and there's going to be a lot of people involved. And if you mess up, then, you know, it's on you. And I can't imagine, but I mean, even at the beginning, they saw all these things that seemed out of whack, you know, like they, they were, they're having the conversation with Nick and they're trying to empathize, but they, they're looking at things differently. Right. They're looking at things in a different lens and they know they're under the impression that he's lying or uh, at least they're under the impression that there's definitely foul play. But the whole idea of everything being too perfect and being staged, uh, it, it didn't slip past them. But at the same time, it's so crazy to think that, you know, these police officers have seen and done this a thousand times. So they're going to be pretty quick to know that this is if someone's lying or, or something like that. At least that's what the movies would tell me. So I, I, I would hate to be the person in that interview chair, having to have this conversation with a police officer. Cause one of my biggest fears is not being believed. Right. I'm right. Just like, Oh my God, you have to believe me. But if I don't have an alibi, then fuck it, I'm, I'm done. But 
I feel like that's just one of the scariest things is when you're convinced of one truth and someone else believes another and they don't believe you, then that is got to just be horrifying. Absolutely. And that scene when uh, it's, it's such an amazing scene, but after he finds out that uh, Amy was pregnant, he goes back to his house and Boney and Gilpin are there and Boney kind of frames the whole structure of what she's going to say by showing him you know, the evidence of like the picture frame and the table and it looks haphazardly and then basically boils it down to like you spent all this money and Nick's like I've never seen these before in my life and you know we as a viewer because we're omnipresent we know that this is bullshit but he has no idea and you can see the, the conviction in him and he's just like what is going on and no one will believe him and when he gets angry Gilpin's like ooh calm down like, are you yeah. fucking kidding me? Calm yeah. down. <laughs> so I, I think it was great. Boney and Gilpin were such a cool dynamic because Gilpin even says, you know, have you ever heard the term sometimes the simplest expression is or sometimes the simplest answer is the correct one? And she's like, I've never found that to be true. And I agree with her because she's like, this is a little too perfect, which right. is something I think we all need to kind of focus on a little more like my my job that I do I look into situations and you will see a lot of the same ones but you need to realize that you know not every snowflake is the same <laughs> it's everything's things are going to be different so you can't just have a conclusion without doing your due diligence and asking the questions and going through and that can be that, that's in life right you need you need to ask the questions and, and figure it out and not just assume and so unfortunately i think gilpin was assuming all of this and and kind of wanted to just hurry up and throw the book at nick right he wants to this is miller time he's like yeah. this is easy this is a a open and shut case and she's like we don't even have a body bro yeah we don't have a weapon Jeez, we can't do this it's a confession by usher but uh yeah so to follow <laughs> up on that my way <laughs> to follow up on that uh do you think amy ever told the truth at any point in the movie uh or is she just kind of the type of person that will lie so much that she makes those lies her truths uh you know i don't know i i i was convinced i convinced myself that her journal, starting with the the throwing of her into the stairs, is where the lies began. Yeah. Because uh, the journal begin. I mean, I felt like she, she goes on to say that she started this journal after the fact, right? Like yeah. she was making all the, oh, this is when we met and this is how beautiful it was and this is how wonderful it was. But I, which could very well be a lie too, but... I think that it's easier to write something when it is truthful, like especially when she's trying to come up with material. So I think that the beginning probably was true. The whole idea of a fairy tale relationship and coming together and, and all those things. But I think once the violence started, I think is when she started the lie. Like it was just going to be something simple. Like you pushed me kind of thing. It makes it more believable. I think. Right. But yeah. um, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say I, that. That was the impression that I was left with that that's ultimately her first big lie that set everything in motion. Yeah. And I I mean, when they first meet, she says, you know, she writes personality quizzes for Quora or whatever. Um, I don't know if that necessarily has anything to do with it, because I do think she's being truthful and earnest to, to Nick. But 
when you kind of in the second half of the film, when you're finding out that she framed Tommy for that rape, you know, and Desi, yeah. she Fuck, let that's hardcore. Yeah, Desi, she let on all this time, and she just kind of likes to feed on on simp's, basically on on you know these simple guys. It's it's fascinating because maybe maybe she does lie because of how her parents treated her with this whole amazing Amy thing where yeah. they, they, you know, when she's like, I could never get a dog. So amazing Amy had a dog and I got cut from the freshman uh, volleyball team, but amazing Amy made varsity. I mean, they painted this picture literally in a book of who they wanted their daughter to be. And so that was all a lie. Her base, her life was based on a lie. So why the fuck would she not just continue to lie? You right. Know? No, that's a good point. And you know what's funny is I I don't ever remember hearing the Amazing Amy story prior to when they start the the website to find their daughter. And, you know, they call her their, her, their Amazing Amy. Yeah. And I, and I was like, what? <laughs> okay. I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I was like, how thick could you get? I, I totally missed that that whole idea of that this that they had a kids book on her did you even watch the movie i guess not oh it was so funny i I just remember that like in 2015 or 2016 whenever that was when i first saw it i was like wow amazing amy huh number one dad (laughs) (laughs) she yeah all right so moving on um so tyler perry you know he's famous for his self-made fortune and his popular character medea I have never seen any Medea films, but he has a lot of money from them and they're super popular. As Tanner Bolt, he plays someone completely opposite than his comedic Medea character. What'd you think of his performance in this film? Did you like Tanner Bolt? Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought it was I thought it was I thought he was solid, man. <laughs> I have yeah. I have no complaints about his performance. <laughs> Elvis has arrived in Memphis. Yeah, or in, no, yeah not, not Memphis in Missouri. <laughs> totally. And I think that uh, I think that he nailed it. I, I think that that is a uh, sort of a, an archetype, I guess, that that we could all kind of relate to, especially if you've ever lived through like the OJ trial or something like that, where you just see these larger than life celebrity lawyer type deals. Uh, I thought that he did a really good job, especially like I like the segment where he was on a show and he's like, yeah, of course I'd represent him. Yeah. And uh, I, I dug that. I dug that a lot. I, I thought it was a really cool thing. And even when he's like, you know, my retainer's a hundred thousand dollars, like, ah, eh, we'll work something out. <laughs> well, he knows yeah. that it's gonna be, you know, it's going to just make him millions. So what does he care what a hundred thousand dollars is right now? That's exactly. not an issue. Exactly. I mean, that could even be a pro bono thing for him. And I mean, just just he could write books after this. He could get so much money off of that. I mean, that's what, you know, those those criminal defense attorneys will will do, the the high profile ones, the Johnny Cochran's and stuff is Johnny Cochran's name is synonymous throughout the world pretty much now because of that trial. It's just it's right. it's crazy stuff. And I really love the scene when he when he introduces him and him and Nick are having coffee and he just starts laughing. He's like, that's the craziest shit I've ever heard. I'm like, <laughs> We're all thinking the same thing. We're like, yep, <laughs> it's pretty right. crazy. But what's so, cool is that he believes him mm-hmm. and that, you know, he's got a lot of contacts. He's got two Secret Service guys out looking for her. Uh, he's a man that has a plan. And he's looking to the future. So, I mean, he was done in a really... He wasn't portrayed as a, sleazebag, a sleazebag by any stretch of the imagination. If anything, he was more of a, of a support hero, which is definitely interesting because he's an attorney. And it's not a vibe that you normally get. But he, he definitely had his client's you know, interest at heart. And he wanted him to 
uh, be successful. So like I, that was an interesting take because that's not something that you normally see. And normally it's like, yeah, we're not, my client's not going to say this or, you know, you're done here, blah, blah, blah. and makes a spectacle. <laughs> but he was like along for the ride and he really wanted to, to get to the bottom of it and figure it out, which is, which is different. It wasn't, it wasn't more of, of how do we clear his name, but let's prove that he really is innocent. Not, not, not forget about the, the, the reasonable doubt. Let's actually prove that he is innocent, which was an interesting take. I thought. Yeah, and he he knew what to do in situations. Like, you know, he was very transparent, and I loved that, how calculated he was. He had answers for everything, and he really didn't need to backtrack on on anything he said. You felt that he, uh, you had confidence in him. I think that that was very well done. Yeah, Tyler Perry did awesome in this role. I think he was fan-freaking-tastic. But yeah. So, and we uh, we discussed David Fincher at the top of the show. Uh, he is one of my personal favorite directors of all time. All he really has to do is put his name on a movie and I will go see it. The guy knows how to make a tense and dark film. You know, he also knows how to perfect the cinematic experience. Some of my favorites of his are Fight Club, Seven, and The Social Network, to name just three. What are yours, if any, and why do you like or dislike his films, and why is Aliens 3 your favorite? <laughs> Alien 3 might be. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. <laughs> It's so good. I'm telling you, man, the director's cut is fucking nuts. You got to check it out. But Social Network is pretty good, uh, especially considering I can't stand looking at that Jesse Eisenberg. Like, he just bugs me. Not, not, the, not the human being, but the character, you know, the, the uh, what is his stupid name? Mark Zuckerberg. Like, yeah. I, as far as I'm concerned, they're the same person. Like, he, he does such yeah. a good job of just being this fucking asshole that I hate him for two hours or however long that movie is. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, this guy's a real son of a bitch. So, I mean, he Jesse Eisenberg crushed the role, and the movie is fantastic. Uh, can't can't deny that. Social Network is an incredible motion picture show, and I even like The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, so which is it, which is interesting because I I read that's the only book that I read, <laughs> like the the Elizabeth Salander books or yeah. whatever. Uh, I got it at an airport, and I read it on a flight going down and coming back. And I enjoyed it. And it's very rare for me. We were talking about this on the Shining podcast where I don't like the who does it and will then watch read the book and then watch the movie. I, I lose something. But I've seen I read the book. I watched like the Swedish version and then I watched the Fincher version. And I like all three. Like it's it's a really <laughs> interesting story. And I can't because it's kind of long. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a three hour story. And so it's uh, it's crazy that I was able to connect with all three formats and uh, I wasn't ready for that, but I definitely dig it. It's it's, he is a solid filmmaker and I I can appreciate his uh, cinema and his eye, but yeah, alien three social network and, and girl with the dragon to two probably my favorites. Good choices. What about Zodiac? Did you like Zodiac at all? You know, you know, I haven't seen it. Ooh. Uh, I know it's on, it's on streaming stuff. I think it's on Netflix or something, but I I don't like I don't want to watch it. I don't because it's the whole Zodiac killer, right? And he's mm-hmm. gotten away and now he's uh, in, in Texas. <laughs> Ted Cruz. <laughs> slash Cancun. <laughs> um, and so I just don't. It's hard for me to watch true stories where it doesn't have a happy ending. Like I, when we were, we were talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the whole movie, I'm just like, fuck, I, it's going to be hard for me to like this movie just because right. of the ending and of course it changed and i was like holy shit this is different <laughs> but damn fucking hippies 
<laughs> but I honestly thought no matter how much I laughed her in the movie, the ending was going to ruin everything. Yeah. And and that didn't happen. I, I got treated to uh, a different tale and an alternate history. And and that was amazing. I, I loved it even more because of that. It's so good. Just because I like happy endings. And um, <laughs> no, something dumber than that, like Rex or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I am the I'm the devil, here to do the devil's business. <laughs> nah, dumber than that. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. That movie's uh, fucking awesome. But I love. Um, it. I digress. Yes, David Fincher is an incredible filmmaker. Yeah, Zodiac is one of those. You know, all, a lot of his movies are really long, and that that's like a three-hour movie. But it does a lot of the same kind of. You talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's that underlying tension because the whole film you're trying to figure out who the Zodiac killer is, and you're with you're with Jake Gyllenhaal as he uncovers it too. And there's a moment where you think he stumbles upon a suspect and you're like, what is going on? I don't like this. And I mean, it still has one of the most disturbing scenes I've seen in a movie that it's violent, but it's not disturbing because it's violent. It's because they show how he kills. Well, a husband of a couple or a boyfriend of a couple at a beach like during daylight it is so creepy but it is so well done in in the perfect like fincher filter basically and so i really like david fincher's films and you know uh, benjamin button was another really good one a long one but another really good one yeah too. i didn't like that movie it bugged me <laughs> you didn't oh no, daisy miss daisy i, I liked it, it a lot no oh, not my cup of tea <laughs> yeah seven is incredible so is fight club i like both of those a lot yeah, Fight Club's great too. I forget that he does that, that he did that movie. I like Marla Singer is it's so weird to be like like I'm super mega attracted to Marla Singer, but she is 100% the opposite of everything that I would ever want <laughs> yeah. a human be. <laughs> yeah. But when I look at her I'm like, dude, she looks pretty good for like, you know, homeless junkie. She's just, she's got the that's like junkie chic. She looks great. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's a uh, Fight Club is is a whole other animal, and I I tried to read Chuck Palahniuk's books, and I can't do it. Like I, <laughs> they're really they make my head hurt. I don't, they're not even long. Like I mean, if you, no. if you have like an afternoon, you can read his books. It's it's not a big deal. It's just there's so much happening. It's done in a really weird way to where I don't have the imagination for. It. I need to see it visually so that I'm grateful for people like Fincher that can actually make his movies and and translate it to film because there's no way in a million years I would have ever liked the book Fight Club. Right. And I've read like four Palinuk books and they're weird. Um, Fight Club is a lot different, more different than the film. And actually Palinuk came out and said the film is better than his book. And, <laughs> and like like that movie wasn't received super well when it first came out, but then it became, you know, like a cult classic and every, every frat bro had a fight club poster in their, in their dorm room or whatever. And it was, I mean, that was the way to go. And I fucking love that movie. I think it's, it's so interesting just, you know, about the possessions. You and I quote it often. We'd say like the, the Bob stuff often. And oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, last book I had, I tried to read was diary. What's and that? I, uh, Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, oh, I, oh, of his. I was like, oh. Yeah. And so I, I got like, I don't know, maybe 50 pages into it. And I was like, eh, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't read diaries. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, well, speaking of books, you know, ugh, the book was so much better. All right. You know, this is, it's something we hear often when it comes to adaptations. We talked about it on the Shining podcast. We talked about it on this. For Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn actually was brought on to pen the screenplay. And in my opinion, she did a fantastic job of adapting the book to the film. Like I said earlier, I get tired of people comparing the books versus the films, though. They always complain about them. They're always like, it wasn't, they skipped this part, especially Harry Potter. Harry Potter has some of the, the worst fans ever, but I digress. Maybe Fincher found a solution by just hiring the author to also do the screenplay. What are your thoughts on Gillian Flynn's writing for this movie? Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, that's one of those ones where she put in all the details that she thought were relevant to make the story happen. And I, as someone that didn't read the book, I I was not left wanting. I got everything that I needed out of this story. Yeah. And like I was saying, so she's very meat and potatoes. I keep using that term. Tofu and veggies about the <laughs> uh, about her screenplay. I mean, she treats us like intelligent folk. And she doesn't add a lot of overused dialogue to... Um, like I, I watched this video on how she broke down or how she wrote the screenplay. And... A good example is the scene when Desi meets Nick, like Nick goes to his door. You know, there's it's a very short exchange between each other, but both NPH and Ben Affleck are acting their asses off on it. And you can tell they don't like each other. And it's just kind of like, hey, fuck you. Hey, fuck you. You know, yeah, but but it's it's so well written. And another great example is uh, I guess the structure is like a reverse triangle story structure. And so, like I said, when when Nick finds out like Noelle comes out and she bursts out loud, you know, did you know you she was pregnant? You killed your pregnant wife, Nick. And he runs to his house with Gilpin and Boney. So he's stressed out. He pours himself a drink. Boney, meanwhile, is kind of baiting Nick into, huh, you know, that's really weird about this, this and this and starts from a broad structure. So she's building the house top down, though, when she gives him details we as viewers are increasingly like, oh, shit, maybe he did do it. Maybe he did do it. And then it finally ends on that point, the tip of the triangle, the reverse triangle, where Nick is now like, fuck, I'm not speaking to you again until I get a lawyer. Because you know, and we're with him, that he he knows he's like being watched as the number one suspect. So I think she does that a lot in this film, and it is so awesome. And it's really, really great to see it unfold like, you know, as we're watching. But... I, I, I think it's just like her writing style. Um, she also did. Uh, oh, God, what's that book called? I read it. Um, Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects with. Um, uh, they adapted it into a mini series, like a, uh, a movie or whatever. Hold on. Yeah, isn't it like on Netflix uh, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on H. It's on HBO now, and it's with Amy Adams. Uh, it's it's really good. I like that one too. It's 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 hard to watch, but Amy Adams just crushes it. And it's one of yeah, those MTV she, girls. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> you owe me two. You're you owe wild. me two hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! But uh, yes, I think uh, strong screenplay is, is great, and it's. You, for anybody who will say, oh, the book was so much better. I mean, well, fuck off, dude. The author wrote the screenplay for this and, I, and she gave her stamp of approval and it was pretty goddamn good. So peace right. out. Peace out, Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Anne Rice wrote the yeah. book Interview with the Vampire and she also wrote the screenplay for 
the the movie. And I remember when Tom Cruise got casted and she was like, oh, no fucking way, man. It's crazy. And then she sees his screen test and she's like, all right, I'm sold. Because <laughs> like, Lestat's her favorite character of all time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you want that NASCAR driving motherfucker to be my vampire? <laughs> I don't think so. And, um, and, and, and it turned out to be uh, a total blessing. And yeah. So he was, great that that. he was great in that role. Yeah. Very good. Very creepy. Good shit. I got to interview her once and she was so delightful. Cool. That's yeah, great. She's great. I asked her if she was concerned about like, you know, just the written word and pages and books and how we have these libraries and, you know, you can go into some people's, uh, you know, dens and they just have a hundred books and then you can get all of them on an iPad or a Kindle. (laughs) What what does that mean to her? She's like, Justin, I have like five Kindles and three iPads. (laughs) She's like, I love it. She's like, it's such a space saver. It's fucking funny. (laughs) I know. I agree. I was always, I love physical media, like having, uh, you know, a collection, a bookshelf to just look at things. But I, I look at my place now and I'm like, man, I got too much shit. I want to consolidate. And a Kindle is so nice to just have everything at your fingertips. But uh, I don't know. And same thing with like DVDs, whatever, right? It, it was very hard for me to throw away my DVD cases. I put them all into CD binders. And a trapper and, keeper. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, you and I are big proponents for digital copies, but the more and more I look at it, I'm like, dude, it's so great because I can just share those with people now and be like, here's my login. You know, it's it's 420x69 smoke weed every day. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I agree. Crazy. Oh, uh, yeah, I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, speaking of of deep, like tearing away the, the cases and put them in a binder, you sent me a text not so long ago about the Royal Tannenbaum's Criterion Ooh, Collection. Yeah, yeah. And that was one that got destroyed. <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, I know. And Alex, I, Alex literally asked me, she's like, do you want to go through these cases and make sure there's nothing you want to keep? I'm like, eh, it's fine. Oh. And then as I'm flipping through the binder, like a couple days later, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew it. I was like, <sighs> she's like, what? I'm like, nothing. Don't worry about it. It was totally my fault. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, that was a good deal. They had 50% off. And I, I wanted to buy some stuff, but I was like, I can't. I simply can't because I know I'm going to be like you. And I'm at a certain point, I'm like, oh, I don't want this anymore. And just like trash everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a cool cover, though. It Super is. Cool. It's really cool. It's like a little book. But like, honestly, one of the greatest feelings in the world is just throwing away shit you don't need anymore or donating it or whatever it is that you to do, choose to do. But yeah, fuck, man. When you have... When, like when you're moving and you get rid of so much stuff and you just hand it away to your neighbors and you just see how much stuff you would have had to pack if you, if you kept it. Yeah. It's like, nope, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I got the joy that I needed from it. Thank you so much. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree. All right. Well, so finally, last question. While Amy is on the lamb in the Ozarks and the Jason Batemans, she gets a little lazy and befriends a gal and a dude that also live at her cabins. Her ignorance catches up to her and she is robbed of her finances later by those two. Did you feel bad for Amy at this point or did you, did she get what she deserved? Did you ever feel bad for her? Did you ever feel bad for Nick or is he just a fat fucking batch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fat fucking bat. Um, I don't think I felt bad for her. And I I think most of my... Most of my feelings of bad went to Margot. Like she was just oh, I know. the ringer. I know. And she tried so hard to be supportive and he was and Nick wasn't giving 
her whole truce and she just felt betrayed constantly, especially when she saw him with his girlfriend in the house. That was that wasn't going to look good. She she knew the gravity of the situation from the beginning, and he was just a, a doofus about the whole thing. And she, the what's the wife's name again? Amy. Amy. Yeah. So and Amy realizes that he's not smart, and that's how she's able to get away with all this stuff. She's basically making him dig his own grave, and he's just not clever. And I mean, maybe we're all that way, men in general. As we're just stupid, and <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much, I, I could I could totally see me falling for this, you know, like oh yeah, and uh, no big deal. She tells me to go outside and go go, you know, because I'm always so antsy in my god dang pansy. She's always like, oh yeah, go run an errand, go to Target or whatever, and so I'm like, okay, so I just kind of do whatever. <laughs> so I could totally see myself being set up, like oh shit, but I would be too dumb to even realize it at any point. So, but I definitely felt bad for Margot for the whole, I would say, the entire duration of this movie. Mm-hmm. She is a, a a a lonely and and sad person, and it and it just kind of broke my heart that she was the only one that was really sensing the gravity of the situation. And then she even she's getting arrested, you know, because yeah. she's part owner of the bar, or she's she would stand to gain quite a bit from Amy's death, and making her a suspect and lumping her in with Nick, and and how the media started to portray their relationship as being incestuous, yeah, was a bit much. And that is the kind of stuff that broke my heart. So no sympathy really for Nick, none for none for Amy. I think the movie did a pretty good job of showing how uh, just distant Nick was from his relationship and how he cheated on her. Uh, I think that helped sway our opinion that we probably shouldn't feel too bad for him. And I think the only real good people in this movie are um, Margot then the uh what is the what is kim dickens character's name the, the female police officer oh boney detective boney yeah I, and and then and then tyler perry's character i think those yeah, three Bowl. are the yeah they're the only ones that have any sort of you know redeeming quality they're mm-hmm. they're the only those three are the only quote-unquote good guys in this movie <laughs> right the rest are terrible Absolutely. even even the other detective uh done Gil- he's gilpin his name Yo, Gilpin. Gilpin, that's right. He is, uh, he's like, yeah, if I could throw him away, you know, lock, the, lock him up and throw away the key. So, yeah. I mean, he's just a lazy bones. Yeah, he doesn't want to do his job. Yeah. But I agree. I think I felt really bad for Margo the entire time. And the fact that Nick is a piece of shit and, you know, he's he's dealing with all this media and his wife is missing and Andy comes over and he has sex with her in his sister's house. I'm just like, my fucking God, dude, can you just tell her to go away? Like, and... You know, she catches him. Margot catches him. I I would have the same reaction she did. You know, she's like, you fucking asshole. It's it's definitely a a warranted response. Um, and then when Margot shows up to the house and Nick shows all the, the evidence to her, like the Desi letter and the sperm bank thing, and he explains how he wanted to have a kid, uh, but he always told Margot that Amy didn't want to have kids or something like that because he didn't want her to be mad at Margo to be mad at Amy anymore. Um, I think that that was so fascinating because she says to him, she's like, Nick, I need you to tell me. And he goes, are you asking me if I killed my wife? And she's like, I can't believe you would even say that or whatever. I think she was, I think she was implying that, but this poor woman has just been through a lot. And, and I hated how the media spun her thing too. Like the incestuous relationship. That was bullshit, man. So, 
yeah, to answer my question I said earlier, I didn't feel bad for Amy at any point in the film. Um, and I didn't feel bad for Nick at any point in the film. I didn't want that to happen to Nick. And that's always one of my fears. Like you and I were saying that where people don't believe us. I never want to be set up for something I never have done. But right. he was still a piece of shit. And, you know, I I didn't really feel bad for him other than that kind of stuff. Desi, I felt bad for because he shouldn't have been killed. But he was also crazy, too. Yeah, he was kind of gross. I didn't like him at all. Neither did he's, I. He's like living in a van down by the river. <laughs> I mean, I get how successful he was, but he grossed me out. I didn't like yeah. him at all. From yeah. like, Even in the scene when they're at the at the rally to to get volunteers and he shows up all cloak and dagger. He just looks like a kidnapper or something. Yeah. Not that not that you can really say that someone looks like one, but that's the vibe that I got. Yeah. I'm like, oh man, he's got women in his basement. Yeah. He's gross. <laughs> Puts the lotion Puts on the, the skin. On. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that was uh that's good. So cool. All right. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts and what's your letter grade on Gone Girl? Yeah, I think I think this is an, an an exceptional movie. I think it was filmed very well uh, to the point where I, as I said at the beginning, it's more of an afterthought. Like you're just kind of watching the pieces move, and I wasn't I wasn't distracted by anything visually. There were no visual cues or weird trickery or Hollywood hocus pocus that that took away my enjoyment from this film. I was I was pretty wrapped up in it, and I had concerns for all characters involved <laughs> i was like what the fuck is happening the first time i saw it and i think it was even it's weird that this movie is rewatchable because i i had seen it before and watching it again this time it was more of a i don't want to miss anything i feel like they give me all the pieces that i need but at the same time i didn't want to jump to any conclusions i really wanted to see it play out which is i think is a really good way of storytelling and i think it's rare and i definitely enjoy this movie and i would give it an a it is it is top notch awesome yeah i agree man it's an it's an a for me i think i want to see more of this i will always watch anything david fincher does i haven't watched mank that's on netflix um it's on my list but We'll see what happens. I know that uh, he is working on one called, I think, American Killer or The Killer. No, it's called The Killer with Michael Fassbender. So that is in pre-production. So uh, you already (laughs) signed me up. I'm already in for it. But um, one thing I didn't really get that I wish they would have explored more was the woodshed aspect. And they uh, discussed that. Like, Boney was like, how do you explain the woodshed? And Amy was basically deflected and said, well, you know, you're incompetence almost got my husband killed i really wanted to know what her what amy's story for the woodshed would have been and i like that she told nick she's like i'm gonna need you to have to uh, agree to the spending of that stuff i thought that, that was so fascinating uh, that they included that in there too i mean it felt like every stone there was no stone left unturned basically so yes th- this movie's an a for me as well and you're right it is it is highly rewatchable because i i picked up new things by watching it this this last time so did did he have an affair inside the woodshed? So that was one of the places that he had sex. So the the little uh, treasure hunt, 
uh-huh. that they had, they went to all the locations that he had sex with Andy at. So the office, uh, his dad's house, the woodshed. Because Margo's like, oh, my God. Like, after he says yeah. that. <laughs> so that, that's what I thought the only connection to the woodshed was, was that that was just a spot of his infidelity. Well, I just meant lies. Yeah, no, I just meant um, I wonder I I was thinking, you know, when the FBI, the FBI was um, uh, interviewing her like in the hospital and and Boney asked, well, how do you how do you account for the woodshed? Because she was blaming the the kidnappings on Desi. And she's like, how do you explain the woodshed? And she kind of deflected and was basically saying your incompetence almost killed my husband or whatever. And didn't answer the question. Yeah, because she hadn't had that conversation with uh, with Nick Nick. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She's like, I'll get back to you on that. One. Yeah. <laughs> Pause. Jerry's still out on, on the woodshed. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. My husband likes to shop till he drops. There you go. So yeah. But um. Anyways, good movie. Fantastic. Love it. Go see it. Two thumbs way up. Uh. Is that it? Are we Are we done? That's it. That's the show. All right, man. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. Heck, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please make sure it is streaming, because we don't like to buy Criterion Collection. We just throw it away. (laughs) Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. So they talk about Star Wars. I mean, I mean Star Trek, the next generation. And I don't watch that. So. Yeah, we don't either. <laughs> That's what's fun. That's we're, true. We're watching it for the first time. Like, That's oh, true. yeah. I mean, we've all seen it, uh, but it's just been a long time. Next Generation came out in 1987. So we have a lot of catching up. Yeah, back in 87, Coach would put me in. I would have thrown a football over the mountains. So, And then uh, also, please be sure to listen to the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James. A lot of video game news coming, and it's great. I like the video games. All that we ask is please don't be crazy. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much.